morning, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome, Sangha. Um, and for those of you who are new, Sangha is a Sanskrit term or Pali term meaning community, a coming together of, of like minded uh, people. And our purpose together is the Buddha Dharma, um, that we're coming together to awaken to what is real and true through the teaching of Shakyamuni Buddha and actually just um, leaving Buddhism behind so we can just learn through those practices. And we need each other both the individual each of us styles, which is like a mondo. Mondo is a question and answer, more informative um, kind of um, connection with the community. And we wanted to, originally, um, we were, we were um, kind of watching our, our, Hogan and I were watching our um, lay sangha here and residency. And by the way, this is Hogan Sensei, and I'm Hojin Sensei. We often get confused, the J and the G. But um, uh, we've been working together for over 20-some years, and um, so it's, uh, I love working with Hogan and, and the community here. Um, and so originally it started that we wanted to gather because uh, residency was kind of dwindling, and um, we were wondering what, what's, this is like such a wonderful um, place to practice and to, for those that are working, um, why weren't people coming and what was happening with residency? And all of a sudden, everyone started to apply for residency um, without us doing the next step. And we had already scheduled a, a, a community gathering. Um, so we thought, well, we've got a lot to actually um, connect with you on that we haven't for a while that we wanted to do. So we decided to just keep, keep, keep it. And um, so we'll, we'll talk about some of the um, things that are going on at the temple. I'll speak about residency. We have a, a really great group of residents. I wanted to introduce them to you. And Hogan would, uh, is going to tell us what's happening with our, our practice place, how our building is practicing. You know, the building's practice along with us and what care do they need, um, what's been happening. Um, so, and we'll talk about some of the uh, uh, groups that are forming within the Sangha and, um, and hear from you at the same time. Right. So, just talk about our lovely space here. So, a good place to start is right where we are. Um, and um, let me just see what thread I want to pull on this. Um, 
the building is um, not new. Uh, Kiha, what's the age? What year? So respectable age. And um, as we go through each year, um, pieces fall off. Uh, some are minor, some are more major. Um, and of course, over the years, a lot has been done to keep, keep it going. But it's kind of like an old operating system where you keep putting the new stuff on top of the old stuff. And at some point, uh, it begins to not work as well as uh, the functionality demands of it. Um, and um, so in an, in an effort to consider uh, how do we keep going long term, you know, what's our 20, 30, 40 year plan for the physical space? And just noting that, do we want to be in this physical space? And over the years that we've been here, we've looked at that question seriously. Um, there have been times the song has been very large and kind of almost demanding that, and there's times less so. And now we're kind of building up again. Um, and um, so what do we want? Well, you know, the location is probably a perfect location. I mean, it's available no matter where you are in the greater New York City area, except if you want to park a car. Um, <laughs> and um, that's not going to get any better, given what's happening in the neighborhood. Um, but the bottom line is the decision has been made to stay here. Um, the property's worth something, but a limited something, because the physical space is limited. It's not enormous. Um, and so even if we left, we'd have to go someplace, and, and this is ideal for everybody. Um, so in the course of the year, a lot of things happen. So perhaps you've noticed that the door in the front uh, to the left has been refurbished. Um, Anyone care to take a guess at what that costs to have that done well um, and to basically have the new same door there? And early in the investigation of that, um, you know, we thought about, well, it's a door. You know, we can take off the old one and just slap on a new $200 door and end of story. But the quality of, has changed. How, how we experience the space has changed. And um, so there's the door. But that's resources, enormous resources, actually. It's, it's unbelievable what it costs to do that. And it's not just the cost in terms of... Uh, are you making faces? I said, what is it? Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> the cheapest part of it is the money, I have to say. The most expensive part of it is the time that... Uh, Kehoe and I and others put into how do you do this? How do you take an old door and restore it and put it in with the the electronics because there's an alarm system to buzz people in so we don't have to run up and down four stories every time someone rings the doorbell, etc., etc. And if you look at that door, there's a lot to it. There's a a hole, a peep hole you can see, and mail, and etc., etc., and then there's the quality of the door. So it's probably totally more than five grand. 
for a door. And it's and the endless hours that um, which we can't pay for. You know, how do we, you know, uh, uh, Kehoe led that project. She's an architect. She's a licensed architect. Can we pay a licensed architect, uh, you know, an hourly fee to do that kind of work, which I'll bet was 30 hours for a door to do it right? Now, I could have done that, and you would have gotten a very different door. (laughs) And so... You know, these are the kinds of challenges within the building. So many of you have seen the leaks that we've been working with. And if you have any experience in dealing with leaks, where does the leak come from in a four-story building that's 100-plus years old? You know, it's uh, not so simple with another building abutting it and neighbors and so on and so forth. You may have noticed in the course of your being here, there's some structures outside um, from the Y reconstruction and implications of that uh, affecting this building, which are endless. Um, and how do you assess those implications when stuff is falling on our roof and crashing into people's cars and et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a lot to it. Uh, the bottom line is we a decision was made to... Um, to have a comprehensive assessment of the building. That's been done. Another significant expense. It's not inexpensive to have all the systems contained in this building evaluated professionally and from the perspective of what's legal and what's appropriate and um, what upholds the certificate of occupancy and many other associated issues. All of of these systems and all of these issues are deep and challenging things to explore. Um, and so that's been done. And coming up shortly is a, a, a meeting between the architectural firm that did that and some of the folks um, who are responsible for the building, myself, Gokhan, um, a couple other people, um, some architectural input, including Kehoe and um, another Sangha member who has a lot of experience in um, renovating these build, these kinds of buildings. And we'll look at that and then hopefully make a plan for the future um, to how we can go about preserving the building. And there's a lot more there. I'm going to stop there uh, and um, just stop there. <laughs> um, so I guess right now, I just want to invite any questions about that topic. There'll be a chance at the end for open discussion, open questions. And uh, microphones are, uh, please speak into the microphone. We are recording. There may not be any questions, he hopes, uh, but. <laughs> Joshua. Joshua. Um, Uh, I'm going to the uh, ground of it. Do we need a fundraising? Not at this moment. Um, so that, should I segue into the overall finances? Uh, um, first, as many of you are aware, we're in the midst of completing a fundraising, a significant fundraising drive for the GISO house that's gone 
really well. And that's a project at the, on the monastery grounds um, that will enable us to take care of the monastics as they age. That's a real challenge. Uh, and also make the building, um, the main building, because that's a separate building that we're working with, uh, the main building much more accessible uh, from a handicap perspective, uh, because it's the opposite of that now. Um, so it's not an appropriate time to think about that, um, just from the reality of raising a lot of money. I mean, what do you think it would cost um, to take this building and make it secure, um, meet all the legal requirements for us to be here, um, and bring systems up to date uh, and hold us for the next 50 to 100 years? I mean, pick a number. It's a large number, right? It's not capped at a million. It's bigger than that. So um, at some point, we'll have to address this. One of the ways we're thinking about this is staging it over time. Uh, there are legal implications of that, and zoning implications of that, and many other implications of that. Someone's at the back door. Um, so a lot of th 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 something will come out of this meeting uh, with the architect uh, that will lead to a planning of that which will end up in some degree of fundraising. We do not have the funds to do this. Uh, and in fact, the, um, the things that come up that are not planned in terms of this building, leaks and furnaces and bathrooms and um, so on and so forth, that we have not financially planned for, are there every single year. Every single year, we'll spend probably just based on the past 40, four or five years, uh, 40 or $50,000 or more on what may not be an expected expense. Right. Um, so there's that. Josh. Yeah. So I'm hoping that when you speak to the architects, we also talk about how to make the building accessible, especially at least just to the next floor, so that people who have mobility issues can get beginning instruction and feel that this is their place of worship too. Um, I know that that was kind of in the works a few years ago when they were talking about you know doing a lot of work on the temple and um, an elevator or escalator or something was discussed. I don't know how that could happen, but it just seems like we lose people who walk through the door and realize that they can't access um, beginning yeah. instruction. Thank you. Thank you. Um. I could be incorrect about this, but my understanding is that um, our mortgage will be paid off in a couple of years or so. Um, is that correct? And if so, like, how will that freeing up that money, like, to what degree will that make a, a difference in meeting these other expenses? Yes. That's a, an interesting question and at the heart of the finances. And, um, you know, I'm not going into great detail on the finances, although they're not secret. But we have a mortgage of about 4500 uh, a month. 
Um, and we have, you know, just to keep the doors open, I don't know, what do you think? Seven, 8,000. Um, uh, so, you know, that's the monthly nut, if you will, not allowing for anything else. Is that the seven, 8,000 in addition to the mortgage? No, or no? no, total. Um, so, you know, I never take my eye off this. I mean, this is, we have a, a little bit of savings, not much. We all, this, this sangha is part of the MRO sangha, so it's all one institution, but the finances uh, are measured separately, although it's all, we're all within the single budget. Um, so in terms of the mortgage, um, the residency, when it's full, pays for the mortgage. So just informationally, it's 1000 a month for residency, which, as you know, to stay in New York City um, is a bargain. Of course, the quarters are not luxurious, but they're adequate, and you get the chance to practice on a daily basis and to receive the teachings and to be with other like-minded people intimately. It's also a challenging. It's not uh, as training-oriented as the monastery, where that's full-time. Uh, this is a lay sangha, and it's intended for lay people to be able to come in uh, and live here. And just looking in the audience, there are many people who've done residency here. Um, and so that, when things are going good, holds the mortgage. And when we've got that covered, we're in good shape. Um, but don't miss the fact that, you know, we walk past a donation a box um, that matters. We walk past a, um, when we check in for a retreat, um, that matters. That's all supporting. There are other people who make anonymous sometimes or specific donations. Um, you know, my own sense of the MRO as an institution is, and compared to any other religious institution I've ever been or associated with or seen, is we probably do less asking for money and fundraising than anybody I know. Um, but one day we're going to ask you for this building uh, because we can't do it. Um, and how we're going to do that, I don't know when, no time immediate. Uh, and the, the good news is we already know the bones of the building is good. Um, I mean, it, the structure's not falling down. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there are issues. But, you know, essentially we're, we're fundamentally in good shape. Okay. Yes, yeah, so <clears throat> as Hogan was saying, um, uh, the residential sangha is um, a practice support for the community. Um, and people that are choosing to live here um, are, you know, following a kind of a disciplined schedule to some degree within a large city that's wide open that they are making a commitment to as best they can within their work schedules, um, morning and evening zazen, intensives. Um, and when you come, they've done all the work of preparing for the morning um, and welcoming um, our sangha here. Um, so um, residency has taken many different forms over the years because at some point there were actually a teacher living here full time for many years. Um, I used to live here um, with another monastic six months out of the year for six years. So I lived here um, all through um, 
the, I think it was summer and fall, and, and Jimon came for the next part. And then Shugan was here, Shugan Roshi was here for a bit of time. And now um, Hogan and I are, are coming from our different respective places to spend time here each month. Um, and so um, we've brought in what we call an office manager, um, for lack of a better name. We've gone through, you wouldn't believe what, what small details, how much time you have to spend on calling, naming things. And, and um, you know, uh, so an, this person is uh, living here full time so far. Um, and taking care of the day-to-day, daily um, answering of um, your phone calls, your emails, uh, working in close connection with, with Hogan and I, and, and um, about the details of the space and people that are coming and ordering um, our, our, our food basis, you know, that we have some, some, um, uh, some stock in the house for everyone. Uh, for cooking and and eating together, um, and uh, so this position has varied. It's been um, this is the first time we asked for a year long commitment, and Anastasia is not here right now, but she's been our office manager, and many of you know her, and she's held the ship over. She she completes her one year in January, but. Um, She's she's has been very committed and taken care of this space, and now we have um, Brian and Meta and um, Kison just joined us, and um, Chris. Can can those folks stand up, please? Yeah. So you, you can see who they are. Chris and Brian and Kison is just kind of Meta, and Anastasia is not here, and so um, they have been. Um, you know, we hear about wholehearted practice, and that's a real thing in practice. It's one of the few places we get to um, get get something to do, and we're asked to just put yourself into it. What is wholeheartedly, and um, and whether it's you know you got vacuuming today or cleaning a bathroom or. Um, milk and cookies and your tea and coffee, and to uh, take something up completely. And that's what um, these residents are doing. Um, Yunin has had a, a big part of, um, and Tenfu, of maintaining um, training for service positions and, and uh, taking care of the office books. And then a, a monastic rotation has been created, so... Um, every every week, a different monastic com- comes down for urban training um, <laughs> to be in the city. I'm coming out of Sashin uh, to be here today, and so Hokyu's here this week, and they work along with the office manager to uh, maintain the training schedule. And I think over the years we've changed. We're watching it carefully. And making adjustments to this, the intent, um, not just the intention, but, you know, realistically, some of you, there is no nine to five. I see people working like 
like the hours are crazy. They go on Sunday. They have to go at night. Um, long hours. Um, sometimes people are called to work and ki- different kinds of work. So we're looking at how that can work in residency, giving, not being the monastery, changing a bit to adjust to the needs of the practitioners that come here. And, you know, I've been a monk for, you know, 30 years at the monastery, monastic Hogan has, so in me is a particular way of living, and so I, I need you um, to hear from you, um, and we hear, listen to our residents speak about, you know, um, uh, how, how it's working, how it's going, so that we can understand and um, make that, this more um, in accord with, with um, what, what makes it possible to live here. Also, when you were talking about the building, I don't know if you knew this, this was a funeral home. Um, it may be why the floor is slanted, and we've, you wouldn't believe how much it costs to up, up the floor. We've looked at that. Like, can we sit straight? You know, so we can only sit facing forward. You know, we can't sit facing each other. We're always, and that's like a whole other world, you know, so we dropped that one. Um, but but it could be because the coffin was brought in. So we're still in the same business, in a sense. <laughs> Matter of life and death. I had a woman come to the door, and she wasn't, she, she knocked, and she was, she was like this. Like, I was, I was like, hello? And she was, and, and she goes, um, was this a funeral home? I said, yes, it was. She goes, my mother was laid up here. And I said, oh, would you, would you like to come in? No, no, no. <laughs> no, thank you. But um, so it has that history. You know, it used to go back to the Dyson room, and there was a dummy waiter that went up with the body and came out right where we give beginning instruction, where that carpet is. There's a you door there. You get the there. point. <laughs> There's a door there. So it's, it's, we get little pieces of the, of the history. Um, some new things that have, um, we're doing here now is student entry. So when Hogan Sensei and I have new students, they enter here at the temple so we can all be a part of that, that everyone enters together. We'll be doing Jukai here, the first one in December, um, where somebody will take the precepts so you can be involved in what a precept ceremony is and everyone can partake in that. It'll happen and we may not do it during Ango. Um, we're doing family programs. We're, we're doing um, uh, different, um, there's some people here from the Beyond Fear of Differences group and um, in which we've been studying um, over many years now, this particular power and privilege and um, oppression as, as Dharma practice so that we're both doing it inward, studying power, privilege, oppression within our own mind, how we do it to ourselves. that's the individual work, and then the we, how are we bringing this as a sangha. And... Um, Part of that, what I would like to share with you is the um, 
the values that have been brought in to um, kind of be the foundation of our heart, mind here. Um, and it's been created by um, people practicing. Um, and what we would like to bring into every aspect of, of living together and training together. So these are on the web, so I'm just going to briefly touch on them. And you can go to the Beyond Fear of Differences uh, website to get more detail. But the first is um, trust. And um, it's interesting when I look at that word. I remember a Kaijun, one of our monastics, had a calendar in her room. And when I went in her room, I saw it said, rust. And I thought, okay, she's the gardener. Maybe she's got an elemental calendar on her wall. (laughs) And what I didn't see, there was a tassel hanging over the tea. So it was um, trust, um, which made more sense. But but it's an interesting, these are just words. And within trust is rust, a corrosive aspect. So it's it's it in the sangha. It's it's a um, um, a noble trust. It's 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 something that has to be continually met, refined, brought out. It's not a given. So cultivating, earning a confidence that we are working toward our mutual well-being and liberation. Equity to create just outcomes. We recognize the different treatment, including reparations, is sometimes required because of historical oppression and our varying positions in contemporary society. Courage, the ability to step forward, be vulnerable, tolerate discomfort, we are a creature, that a species that does not tolerate much discomfort. Look at a period of zazen, if you're not sure about that. <laughs> right? How much we want to get away from pain, move to pleasure, satisfactions, and hold space for new ideas. Accountability. The sangha community, teachers, seniors, monastics, board, students, councils, practitioners, are mutually responsible for upholding these values and communicating with each other. That's sometimes a hard part, communication. We know it's in our very intimate relationships how hard it is to speak our heart, to communicate in a mature way. How do we do this? This is, this is deep work, deep social work that we haven't really, um, we're touching, we're touching. It's possible. Humility, recognition of the depth of our own conditioning, recognizing the depth of our own conditioning and the vastness of the path. The vastness of the path. It's a long haul. It's vast. Reverence. 
a deep respect for each other's humanity. Reverence. A deep respect for each other's humanity. Can we do this? Not by words, but by actions and identities and the transformative power of the Buddha Dharma. So, how is this Dharma practice? What is this transformative power of the Buddha Dharma in this reverence? How is that deep respect for our own humanity manifested as we go in and look at our own mind and go off the attack, stop the war? Generosity, the willingness to embrace all our experiences of Sangha with openness and appreciation. Also the willingness to give and take in feedback on the impact of our actions as part of our Dharma teaching. That's a toughie too. To take in feedback, to learn how to feed back. How do we feed? What kind of feeding is this? What kind of nourishment? How do we feed back? It takes many forms. We sometimes have good intentions and we know impact is different. So we need feedback. That's not what I meant. So that's part of our Dharma training. Really seeing the difference there. And, and, and attending with care for each other's humanity and respect for the deep conditioning and reverence, and they're all there. You take up one, and they're all in that one. It's just like the precepts. You take up one, and they're all there. It's, we break it down. You take up one gate of practice in the eight gates, and you find every single one within that. Our practice is right action is teacher-student relationship, is generosity. Whole person framework. In our study and liberation of the self, we recognize that because our social identities are not experienced in isolation, they cannot be examined in isolation. So that's kind of the who am I to the who are we. How does that come together? Because they're, they can't be separated. And we may have thought that was what the path was for a long time. Authenticity. Truly being connected with our emotions, expressions, and experience. Truly being connected with our emotions, expressions, and experiences learning what emotions are and how they serve. We are sentient. We are feeling. We have senses. That's how we experience. And how do we acknowledge what's happening within so that we can offer our best um, in relationship, in relatedness? You know, we are not in isolation. Yes, we all have our mat and our seat, and that's an aspect of it. But as Uchiyama and his 
book, Opening the Hand of Thought, I don't know if you've read that, has this great uh, story where um, there's a pumpkin patch and the gardener goes outside and all the pumpkins are arguing. All the pumpkins are fighting. And he's, he listens for a while, he watches all the pumpkins go at it. And then when it's sort of quieting down, he says, I want each of you to reach up on the top of your head. And they all, all the pumpkins with their pumpkin hands reach up. He says, now follow that. It's all connected. So they see they're not on a solo vine, not a solo. And they, they kind of humility, accountability, courage, equity, trust, generosity, whole person framework comes up into many of their minds. So um, as we have these um, activities and groups, which you'll be hearing about, which many of us are working on opening up to the Sangha, we had the Beyond Fear of Differences big meeting, and we've been chomping away at, at... what you've written and listening to the Sangha and, and so different um, um, affinity groups will be coming up into light. We're having a meeting with the people that might be um, attending to those as facilitators, which are not, are, are you, the Sangha, and, um, and seeing how um, we can bring in these values to all that work that we're continuing to look at. So let me open it up to the to the floor. Do you want to mention any of the other groups? What is whiteness, environmental? So some of the groups we have are what is whiteness, which is um, um, the um, people of color are working on their group. Um, the environmental group is, is working to refine and bring together um, they've been off for a bit, so that's coming in. Um, Zen kids, so if you want to bring your kids in, there's a day for that working together. Have I missed any, some of you, that are helping us form? Oh, ne- t- t- two needles mid- meeting in midair, which is a sewing group, um, which is a practice, LGBTQ group. Is, has, has been meeting both here and at the monastery. Thank you. Keep, keep them coming. Yeah. So um, all of this will be um, uh, continued to be um, not dropped, but, but actually um, given energy, given energy. And you might find yourself in one of those um, places to give energy to. Okay? I just want to uh, speak to Sangha. Uh, this, uh, this place of practice is yours. And, um, you know, if Hojin Sensei or I show up or a monastic shows up and no one else is here, What's what's it about? Uh, so this is for you. And um, although there is a hierarchy and a sense of who's leading the training in different ways, um, in a way that's not the intent. 
And in a way, that goes against the fundamental intent, that each one of us can awaken and realize that we are Buddhas. And so I guess this is a plea for you to um, be willing to engage as a part of this Sangha within this building, within the MRO, in ways that make sense for you, in ways that open the door to practice and training, because um, this isn't a plea just for another volunteer organization, and that's fine that you may wish to do that, but everything that we do is connected with training, everything that we do. And so that's a particular perspective. So, for example, a perspective of the temple and what resources go in there from our perspective, maybe from my perspective, you know, what's the problem with putting in a new door? But from the perspective of the overall MRO and Zen Mountain Monastery and the buildings and grounds there and other projects and other short, medium, and long-term financial perspectives uh, is a whole other picture. And I'm framing this only in one thin direction, um, financially or planning-wise. In training and practice, it's a much larger perspective. And those of you who've trained here and practiced here for a while and then go on to uh, include in your practice the monastery, you walk in there and although the, the grounds and the buildings is new and amazing, uh, it's familiar. You're already home. You already know that. Uh, everything's familiar. Everything's beckoning to you from that perspective. So in a sense, this is the monastery and at the monastery is the temple. Um, and that, again, comes back to a plea for you um, so there are innumerable ways that we together can work to help this building. I pointed at the financial, pointed at volunteer, pointed at committees. Um, the most basic one, the most important one, is your participation in Dharma activities, direct Dharma activities, zazen. Um, I'm always um, anticipating, for example, on Friday night that... Um, um, when, when I'm here on, in residency, that there'll be me and two other people on a Friday night. One of them is the monastic. Um, and I'm always pleasantly surprised when 10 people show up on a Friday night in New York City. Um, so, the, you know, I'm just pointing um, that what gives, what gives this place and the MRO itself um, kind of... Uh, let me just segue into a very brief story. There's a, a young man who's going to college who's doing something, investigating silence. And so he went up to the monastery and he did, I don't, how long was he up there? He was up there for Wednesday through Sunday. Yeah, very short period of time. And of course, a, a significant part of that time you're in silence and you're doing zazen and then you're working. And he was working in the kitchen probably, which is mainly in silence. And he's interviewed people, and he came here the other day, and he said, I don't understand. Um, we're embedded, I'm embedded in silence, and yet there's so much communication and community and love going on. I, I don't know how I know that, but I see it. Well, that's the point. That is the point. Um, and each of us, in our own way, appropriate to our own life, have to step forward into that have to take up the responsibilities in, in the areas that we need to or should or can 
or wood or over time, all of them. Nothing's left out from this practice. Uh, and there is a timing to it, and there is an appropriateness to each of our lives and where we are, and that needs to be respected. And at the same time, uh, you know, we can figure this out. We can work this practice in a way, work our relationship to the monastery, to this temple, to the sangha, to the teachings, in a way that makes sense and supports us and allows us to evolve in a direction that is inherently ours already. And, and at some level, we know that. And so please consider this your home, and please consider, while it's your home, there is training going on here. And so um, there's a responsibility to that training. And for the most part, one hopes nothing is done by accident. And if you don't get it or relate to it, then that's an invitation to explore it for our own practice. I just I just wanted to say um, Sanzang can probably speak better to this than me but um, so we are you know starting the Earth Initiative again and it's a small group of us mainly sometimes there's others but me Sanzang, Chris Separita, Lindsay and Stu and so we meet once a month um on a Wednesday and you can do one session of sitting and then we meet at seven or seven fifteen upstairs. But, um, you know, particularly with the environment, I know there was a bigger green dragon group. So we would love to have people who have an interest. Um, so sometimes we think of individual actions or group actions, but for me too, it's just a support group, you know, cause you can go into overwhelm. The Amazon is burning the, uh, lots of Africa is burning Indonesia, you know, the Endangered Species Act was just gotten rid of by this administration and, you know, losing so many species every day. And, you know, just thinking of the interbeing of our world and all beings that we live on this beautiful planet. So, you know, I just like to give a shout out. And, and you know, as I said, Sanzen can probably speak better to, than me to this, but I think we're meeting the beginning of September. It's in the temple notes, but, you know, think of coming by and supporting is just lovely. So thank you. Thank you. You spoke fine about that. Um, yeah. Anybody, somebody in the back? There's a lot of, you know, um, different kinds of sangha, you know. So as Hogan was saying, the, the training for the bodhisattvas in a place like this um, so, so we've experienced that undivided life that you're going out into the world, into your individual lives. And in a sense, that is the temple traveling. That is the monastery um, traveling. Um, so there's a lot of different um, mandalas of sangha. You know, this is a particular um, Buddha Dharma sangha. And then you have your family sangha. That's a tough one. Um, and then we have our work sangha. So we're always with different people practicing something. The question is what? And um, that you have the, the Buddha Dharma always and to receive more and more training so that that undivided life can move through all of your circles 
all of your sanghas, that Buddha mind can develop um, within you know each each place we find ourselves. So um, that that's why we exist, as a mon- has always been, you know. Why the Buddha was in the grove and everywhere. I was thinking of the door, and Vilmakirti's story came up. You know, Vilmakirti was a, a lay practitioner, had a family, and most of his teachings were done in the lay world. Um, libraries, taverns. He would just go in and just be with people, and that's where he disseminated the teachings. And Shariputra, a very advanced practitioner, there was a meeting in Vimalakirti's home in his living room with thousands of beings, thousands. And Shariputra came in a panic and he said, I don't think we have enough chairs. And, and Vimalakirti said to um, Shariputra, did, did you come here for a chair? <laughs> um, you know, and I, somehow when we were talking about the door, I was like, did we come here for a door? You know, but yet um, we're attending to the door as, as a sentient, you know, a lot of like, do we? Do we do this? What's the significance of, of this? Um, so it, just, it was just reminded me of like, what, what are we coming for? Um, and this has a specific um, thing, uh, the Buddha Dharma. Somebody, welcome, Kiho. Hi. Um, talking about sangha um, also includes the neighborhood, and for those of us who live in this neighborhood or in Brooklyn, we know it's changing. And I just wanted to highlight that next. The, blo- the block next door is going to be completely demolished, <laughs> except for the Khalil Gibran School. And that just started um, in June. So uh, that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, and I just wanted to make a suggestion for a way to engage more with this neighborhood um, is to help take care of the little garden plot out front. Um, we've planted some... <laughs> some suffering beings out there that need um, constant care because of the scaffolding and the lack of water and light, but also just the, you know, stress of living on the street. Um, so any care, even as we transition into fall and winter, I think is really helpful for an engagement with the neighborhood because it's just amazing when you're working on that, how many people stop and say, thank you so much for like doing this. Like, I can't believe that it was a a slab of dirt for so long when you guys talk about being environmental activists, you know, like somebody said that to me. So I think it's, it's important, you know, the door caring for the building. It's, it's speaking, you know, and it's speaking to the community and, you know, inviting them. Wondering how visible it is. The, the efforts and support of the Sangha. Um, there are flowers put on the many altars in this building, some of which you know about, some of which you may not know about. Somebody's doing that on a regular basis. For years. Uh, for years. Years. There, the flowers get, those flowers have to be bought, they have to be cut, they have to be arranged in a, in a particular way 
Um, somebody's cooking cookies for us on Thursdays and Fridays. For years, the same person comes in on Friday night, um, bakes the cookies, sneaks me a couple of cookies, <laughs> and, and so that you, when you come on Sunday, and probably after here, after this meeting, can enjoy those cookies. Those cookies. Our coffee is good. Where does that come from? This is not crappy coffee. I mean, this is Brooklyn, so we have a certain obligation. Um, But it's not cheap. It's not cheap to buy expensive and good quality coffee. And so someone has to do that. And someone has to make the coffee each Sunday and for retreats. And we can't do that. We need you. And I'm leaving out probably literally a hundred other things aside from the obvious that the bathrooms are generally clean and the garbage is uh, picked up and emptied and uh, on and on. Just think if, if in your own apartment or home, you know, if you don't take care of that, what that looks like after a week, you know. Uh, think about the laundry. Uh, if you come in for a retreat and stay overnight uh, for Sashin, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, um, ha- How's that get taken care of? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also, again, I keep coming back to it because it's on my mind, on my anxious mind every day, is all these things cost money. And so how do we navigate the middle way between um, asking for your support? One of the things that, that wearing a, a gray robe, and I realize this is white, off-white, dirty white, um, uh, uh, is a commitment to us to support the 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 mountains rivers order and the temple and the monastery financially and and so uh, people do that and if you're not a student how how does that play out for you and you know if you're not a student you haven't quite made that level of commitment and yet you know probably three quarters of the people who practice here are not students and that's good and form and helpful as as each person delineates their journey um, but also um, understand that you're receiving the rewards of a lot of other people's efforts and contributions. Um, so just to keep that in mind um, as, again, kind of a plea. <laughs> I have to cover next, <laughs> the mortgage next month. <laughs> um, I wanted to just offer a small experience um, speaking to Hojin's um, comment about intent versus impact. Um, in the course of my residency, I, I observed one instance in which um, a Sangha member of color may have felt unwelcome here. And uh, I think without the harmful intent of um, of anyone, and so I wanted to, I wanted to invite myself and the, the other white members of the sangha to continue thinking about being mindful of the ways that our our words and our body language um, interact with the the inequality um, that pervades the society we live in.
um, when I first started coming here, I was living in Fort Greene, and uh, that, and I realized there was a temple in my neighborhood, and uh, I was sitting at home, and I was fine with that, and I also had another center that I would go to that was a little bit further away, but I was like, oh my God, there's a place right in my neighborhood, and now there's so many more people in this neighborhood. I walk around, and it's like, it's a city. Like back then a restaurant would open and you'd be like, I don't know, two restaurants in the neighborhood. I don't know. It's, I, 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 we'll see how, how well they do. And, um, so what I'm, what I'm getting at though, is that there's so many people in New York city who are becoming interested in meditation. And as you know, we all know, like meditation is something that is just being talked about around water coolers and, um, you know, I don't know, at other places, schools, therapist's office. Yeah. I mean, everyone's recommending meditation and there's a lot of places to seek it out. And, um, and this is one of them. So, uh, one thing that I'm involved in often is, uh, communications for the monastery and the temple. And so if you have any ideas about how to further that, in terms of whether it's taking a bunch of our postcards or program catalogs and bringing them to, uh, just handing them to a friend or to a yoga studio where you go to. Um, because I think a lot of people hear about meditation, but they don't know how to find a place that is so accessible. You can just come in on a Sunday morning and get a virtually free introduction to it. And where do you go? Because People often live with others who may not be meditating or they live in a noisy environment and this place is just here. You can pop in in a morning and an e- or an evening. And so um, we're open to suggestions. If you have any thoughts about that, you can, um, well, we can talk later, but um, you can also email, email the office here and, um, and also just to say, uh, maybe Hogan or Hogan will say this too, but if you have anything that you think about that uh, I, ideas that come to you later for ways to improve what's happening here, then just get in touch with us. We are completely open to hearing about from the Sangha what you want, what we all want for this as a practice center. And so you can slip a note. You can send an email, you can call, you can say, hey, I have an idea. Um, and so that's all. Thank you. I'm, hi. Um, I'm sorry. Your name, Chris? Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Because um, you actually read my mind. When I first started coming to the temple um, over a decade ago, um, the number of people of color here were negligible. And um, so that has, it's, it's been increasing. Um, I think we can say that, but I think we also know that it's not reflective of Brooklyn or New York City. <laughs> um, and so I think about um, what, you know, it, there are many people who have come, who are people of color, who come once and don't come again, um, or who have felt, like Chris said, offended by um, something that has happened um, with interaction with a white Sangha member that has put them off. And so I think we need to be um, 
when we think about Beyond Fear of Differences and after that forum, and people were really so supportive, at the temple especially, um, I think even more so than at the monastery. Um, and, um, and when we think about, well, the typical Sangha member, I'm not in the committee, what can I do? And I think some of the things that, that you can do are um, making sure that when you see a person of color who's coming into a white space, think about how you would feel and what you might need if you were, um, as a white person, coming into a majority space of color. How, what barriers might there be to your feeling accepted wanted, valued, seen. And um, I think we could be better at this. And I think we're getting better. <laughs> but I think that we, we could be much better. Um, so I just want to want to put that out there. It's, it's not easy um, to come into this space. It wasn't easy for me. Because for years, um, and I still do, I, I count how many people of color are in the space with me. And it used to be uh, just on one hand, I could count them all. And now, many times, it takes two hands. But, um, you know, it's still, it's still a live issue, a live question. I just want to share a little bit about uh, the neighborhood because I'm from the neighborhood and I've been investigating the uh, Underground Railroad in our neighborhood. So I've been feeling like this is the Underground Zen for me. It's kind of, I live across the street and I'm able to come here when I can and that tends to be every morning and almost every evening. Um, but the thing I really wanted to share here is the openness, of course, and the great Manascus that come and share. But they, they open it up to others that come and give talks here, um, from landscape architecture to art to mindfulness. Um, so really it's kind of like whatever you're interested in, they can, things happen here, and I've been enjoying those things. So maybe uh, if you have a feeling for that, you can find out about it. I think there's information in the Temple Notes on their website. But um, I just wanted to share that with people. Plus, I, I help sometimes uh, when I can in, in the kitchen. And I'm, I'm learning how to chop things. And uh, I've made cookies and things like that. Hi, um, I'm Sejo, and I'm one of the two parents who runs um, Zen Kids. And I just wanted to say we, we meet here um, on Saturdays, usually in the afternoons when there's a half-day sit in the morning. Then the kids come in in the afternoon with all of their wild energy, um, and it's quite an experience to be here in this space with such a different, freer, wilder energy of the children. Um, and I just wanted to say um, one, uh, I think it was two years ago, like Rue offered her um, expertise and did a body practice with the children. Um, we 
I, I just wanted to open it up to the uh, Sangha members who might have some talent or want to work with kids. Um, we're probably going to be doing a curriculum based on the 10 values over the next year plus. Um, usually the, we read a story and then there's an activity. Um, the story focuses the children's attention on some theme. And then the activity is a way to kind of embody the theme um, for the children. Um, the parents participate as well. It's not a drop-off program. So it's really, you know, the families working together and we have a good time. So, and right now it's limited sometimes to what Brooke and I can come up with, um, in terms of activities. We have gone out, um, we went to the Met last this earlier this year, we've gone to the Botanic Garden. Um, but if you have an idea of a way, um, where you would like to work with children, um, we invite you to do that. And you can email me. If you know my email, you could talk to me. Or you can email um, the office, and they've got my email. So thank you. We are talking a lot about the newsletter. And um, I just a reminder that you have some forms that you can fill up if you want to receive our weekly newsletter. Um, I just wanted to say, I don't know if people are aware, but I didn't get a copy of the New York Times last on Sunday when uh, 1619 uh, came out. Um, as some people may be aware, uh, this year is the 400th year since the arrival of first Africans who were forcibly brought to the United States to build the economic backbone of America. And so I was just saying that we have a PDF. So if people are, I have a PDF. <laughs> I think I shared it with B5. So if people are interested in reading that, if you didn't get a New York Times, because I didn't, um, uh, perhaps that could be a, a means to sort of look at how these things are. Some people feel that these things are in the past, but it's actually not. It's It's very much prevalent today. Um, and the trauma has been passed down and continues. And so I think it'd be a good idea, maybe if people were interested in reading that and also for people who teach, um, for kids, um, there is a company, uh, 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 educational activities that accompany that series that, uh, has been created for the purpose of teaching younger people about this. Because when I was in school, I only learned, I mean, I still have these things in my head, like 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I mean, this, this indoctrinization was in, was drilled into my skull and I didn't read any, I didn't, never heard anything about any other groups and their contributions to American society. Um, and so I think it's a good idea to sort of start kids to learn and, and I'm, I can, say that not much has changed in the educational system um, today in terms of teaching kids and things other than uh, just uh, dominant culture. So uh, perhaps that's a way to like maybe utilize those educational tools to sort of teach about these things when people are younger so that it's not, you know, they can start to rethink some of this, you know, these things that they're seeing in society. So that's just a suggestion. Um, it's a long series. It'll take you a while, but it's probably worth it. And it's probably worth looking at the educational tools 
they're there and available to teach kids and start to talk about those things. And those things can be talked about within the values of what we're speaking of here, because all those things are in there. Uh, those values are reflected in that experience. Thank you. Um, if I could just say one thing really fast, just as long as we're kind of talking about, you know, various groups and, and meetings, um, the LGBTQ group um, is a group that I personally hold very near and dear to my heart. And um, I just kind of wanted to share um, that, you know, growing up as a kind of weird queer person, um, even growing up in a place such as New York City, you find you do find a lot of um, walls that you run up against. And the vast majority of those walls are constructed in the name of religion and religious institutions, at least in my personal experience. And so um, I remember when I was first going to come here, um, the fact that this group even existed was really one of the deciding factors for me to feel comfortable, to feel, to recognize, you know, that this is a place where I would be safe. And so I really just kind of want to put out a plea saying, um, if you do identify as LGBTQ or an ally or you're questioning, please come through <laughs> because it's so important that this group exists. Also speaking about groups, um, <clears throat> I'm, uh, my name is Donna. Um, I'm one of the facilitators and co-founders of the What is Whiteness group. Um, and I want to, um, you know, put out an invitation to, um, you know, anyone who I self identifies as, as white feels like they've experienced, uh, white privilege, um, to, to come to the group. Um, it's, it's actually a really wonderful group. We usually meet once a month from one to two thirty this month or next month, we're going to be meeting, um, on the 15th. We had a date change, uh, but it's going to be on the 15th. And, um, we look at not only, um, we read, um, not only works by uh, anti-racist white writers, such as uh, Robin D'Angelo's book, um, What Does It Mean to Be White? But we also read works by uh, people of color. Um, I We're going to get to the 1619 Project because that just came out. Um, so I was actually very excited about that. Um, and I shared the link with the group. Um, but, you know, we re we've read Ta-Nehisi Coates. We've read James Baldwin. We've read, um, parts of, uh, radical Dharma. Um, so, and, and we listen to each other and we are working on, uh, models to, uh, give each other feedback, you know, in that, in that, uh, positive way, supportive way. And using the skills that we work on in our Zen training to work with, those feelings that come up, whatever those feelings might be, because, you know, that conditioning um, runs very, very deep. So, um, yes. So please, you know, if this is an issue that, uh, well, it, it should be an issue that moves you. <laughs> there shouldn't be a, um, there shouldn't be a space for the issue doesn't move you. Um, so, Yes, if you feel at all inclined, and you should feel inclined, um, you should come and and join us. And um, yes, it's it's actually a wonderful group. So thank you.
Say something. Um, I, I appreciate what you said, but I, I, we just have to be careful with shoulds. That's all. That's the whole point. Um, if there are no further question statements, tomatoes, anything? <laughs> I guess for whatever it's worth, I just want to say this sangha is so generous and it's something that I have experienced every time I've come here. I've been coming here for six years and watching what's happened with the Jizo project, I think is such a reflection of that. I think about when I first came here and there was a huge fundraising thing about what was going to be happening with the temple. And of course, then other things happened that thing that needed to wait. But I guess I just wanted to put out a moment of encouragement that there can be a lot of fear around money. And I just want to highlight that this Sangha cares. And once you guys have an idea around fundraising for this temple, I don't know, I just feel in my heart, it's not going to be a problem. And the money is going to be flowing in just like it did with the Jesus Project. I mean, holy moly. So I just want to offer that. It's going to be fine. <laughs> From your words to Buddha's ears. <laughs> I, I also want to say that the Jizo practice, the Jizo project is not just for monastics, which I'm very grateful for. I, I do have a space, which would, you know, we've had a few monastics die at the monastery, including my teacher, Daida Roshi. Kaijun Senjin was here at the t temple. You know, but our, I live in a space with no running water or bathroom. It's, it's, it'd be a little hard to do some things up there. But um, <clears throat> so I'm very grateful. But it's also for us. We're 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 getting older, and we're an aging sangha. We can't climb on bunk beds. Um, you know, um, there many things. We, you know, we the stair. It's a building from. 1929. Um, so it's for all of us, really, so that when you come, um, there's ways that you can be taken care of in your aging practice, because we all want to practice for a lifetime, as far as that goes with each other. So I, I'm grateful for the little room that, that we'll have, um, which is wonderful. Um, and some Sangha members may also be in there as well. We have an opened it up in that sense, but it's not going to be like the room's always occupied, right? <laughs> hope not. <laughs> no, it's not all at once, although we are similar, but we don't, we don't know. Anyway, um, I just wanted to say that. So I want to stick my two cents in on a, a particular area that interests me, and I'm sure many of you will appreciate the irony of this. Um, part of... Um, the way to address our prejudices and the power structure and the um, all the ways that are built into us invisibly 
is to look at sexism and genderism. And so sitting next to me on my left is someone who leads retreats in the wilderness, at the monastery, and here for women, and does it in a way, and I have never been at such a retreat, (laughs) um, that seems to generously and lovingly um, help people access aspects of themselves that could not otherwise be accessed. And it's built into what we do. Uh, so, for example, the Wild Grasses session for women uh, at the monastery, September 12th through the 15th. There was just recently a, um, uh, I don't have the right term, but the camping wilderness retreat. Wilderness retreat. Um, and the same with the artistic expression that can only be fostered in such a profound way by the Dharma, by people who both practiced in artistic expression, and in the Dharma. It's, it's not a small thing. And I, I've said frequently that um, in, in terms of my own practice and times in the residency, perhaps the most fundamental thing that happened to me was to be in contact with Hojin and Jiman, people who were deeply seeped in the creative process, were artists, high-end artists, high-end in terms of being able to communicate and just as deeply seeped in the Dharma. And that affected me, who had no other basis to understand what was going on in myself and express that in a way uh, without their loving generosity and support. Um, And so this is an important aspect of what goes on, um, a crucial aspect. Um, And um, I I just want to put that out there. Um, And that kind of takes me into the coming ongo. Um, yeah, please. So I, I'm going to give a plug. I have Andre Doherty and Kat Rogers coming October 20th, and we're looking at disrupting power, privilege through body and and expression. Um, so they're coming actually this afternoon. We're going to work on that together. But um, so hopefully this is an angle where we can be creative together and not just be talking, but like get our bodies in a creative way to look at disruption, to look at privilege. I don't know what they have in store. It's called staying present, staying present. Um, so um, I'm looking forward to that. I hope, I hope we like fill up this. If we have to, we'll do it down here or whatever. It's going to be here on October 20th. That's enough. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, so Ango's coming. And um, many of you know what Ango is. Some of you vaguely familiar, but it's an intensified time of practice. And that's another time where transformation happens, doing Ango after Ango um, and exploring specific areas. And this Ango theme is uh, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path, which is everything that we do. It's it's it. Um, so there's a lot of teachings that will be offered uh, here at the monastery. Um, and uh, next week is the Ango opening at the monastery. And the week after that, two weeks, is the Ango opening here. Um, and much more information will be brought forth within that. But it's already all, essentially all on the web. So please consider whether or not you formally um, sign up for Ango. 
which is helpful to do because it, it gives you some boundaries and some ways to it, to actually investigate it and take you into the the, the fundamental teachings. Um, but it, even if you can't make those that level of commitment, do what you can do and talk to us, and we can help you with that. Um, you know, we want everybody who's in this room wants something. And if what you want is what we can help you with, this is, this is how. Yeah. Okay. So let's conclude with the four vows. There'll be refreshments upstairs. And on we go. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. You can find more Dharma Talks, interviews, and events at zmm.org slash media. While online, please check out the Jizo Project, our multifaceted initiative to make Zen Mountain Monastery more accessible and welcoming to all. Learn about the new Jizo House building and accessibility enhancements to existing facilities that are just two aspects to this exciting endeavor. Find out more and see how you can get involved at zmm.org slash Jizo Project. That's J-I-Z-O-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.